there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, welcome to RTE's Your Politics, our politics team take on the week here in Leinster House. In studio with me, Anya Lawler, is Michal Lahan and Mary O'Regan. We'll be talking to Sandra Harley presently. She's with President Higgins in Rome. But before we talk about the political stories of the week and um, certainly the news this week, both at home and abroad, has been grim enough. Um, I want to touch on those terrible events in Middleton and the South East, Michal, because that was raised in the Dáil today, wasn't it, at leaders' questions? Yeah, it was. Uh, Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty raising it and calling for government, obviously, enough to, to swiftly respond and get as much money as it can into the, the homes and businesses in, in Middleton in particular uh, that were ravaged by those floods. Now, Michal Martin responding, saying that he had got a report back early yesterday evening from Fianna Fáil TD James O'Connor, who was one of the first on the scene there, and saying that there is €10 million Euro in humanitarian aid kind of available in the fund. There's another 20 million that's overseen by the Red Cross, which kind of applies more to businesses, I think. But then he said they are making an assessment on the ground. Of course, the Taoiseach and the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, there today to see what further can be added to that. And kind of this very striking story, I suppose, as well, which was referenced in the Dáil repeatedly, is Sarsfield's GA Club, who had yeah. to open the, the gates uh, and the barriers into their pitch uh, to essentially allow it to be destroyed. But that saved uh, a nearby housing estate as a result in was a pledge that that pitch will be repaired but of course these things do take a long time. Yeah, a fantastic community spirit on display you know, despite uh, that awful flood, flooding and I imagine Mary it's just again, you know, there's questions about warnings there's questions about flood defences but as we probably hear from the Greens at the weekend, the reality of climate change means extraordinary weather events. They're going to become something that we've got to factor into our planning and our politics much more. Yes, and the Green Party will arrive in Cork this weekend, delegates, um, in the aftermath of this flooding. And I suppose to many people in that party, it's this event and events like it that prove that what they've been saying for at least 40 years now is uh, now a real live issue. I guess the difficulty for the Green Party is making that connection with that message, uh, getting the electorate at least to accept the urgency of this climate crisis and you know that is something they will be seeking to do at the weekend when they're in Cork for this conference um, because they will say that this is the very raison d'etre the reason for us being here as a party is to address issues issues like this but certainly according to the opinion polls it doesn't seem to be landing that much as a matter of urgency or as an issue of emergency. Yes and obviously something we're going to be hearing a lot of on the run up to the local elections next year in different parts of the country Uh, but the news that has dominated the week uh, dominated here at home in the Doyle dominated across the EU dominated internationally obviously uh, what's been happening in Gaza what's been happening in the Middle East uh, after that Hamas attack on Israel um, a lot of strong feelings in that Doyle debate, Michal. Yeah, very strong feelings. I suppose there is a kind of a centre ground there too. This calls for an immediate ceasefire, calls for the unimpeded access uh, of humanitarian aid into Gaza as well, where there seems to be 
a differing line among some of the opposition and the government is around condemning the actions of Israel in more stronger terms. And that's fairly across the opposition. Ivana Bacic strong on that yesterday saying more had to be done. Uh, people before profit taking an even stronger view saying that the Israeli ambassador should be expelled from this country. In the end, I suppose it was no surprise that the Dáil couldn't agree a wording to have a unanimous motion last night. I don't know, do we have Sandra Hurley with us yet? Uh, Sandra is joining us from Rome. And Sandra, you're with President Higgins there in Rome. He's been meeting Pope Francis. But the president, um, certainly making his views known, wasn't he, about um, EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and her trip to Israel and the controversy about what she did say in terms of support for Israel, but what she didn't say in terms of the Geneva Convention and international human rights law about the protection of civilians. Uh, fill us in on that controversy. Yes, well, President Higgins is in Rome for a series of engagements uh, coinciding with the World Food Forum. He's meeting Pope Francis today. He's met the Italian president also this week. But really, it was the first day of his visit uh, in the sidelines of the World Food Forum, where he really generated uh, some quite big headlines. Uh, he spoke to reporters in the margins of that and he condemned the Hamas attacks. But he also very clearly said that Israel had broken international law by its blockade of Gaza. But I asked him about that criticism of the EU Commission president, about the fact not so much that she had travelled to Israel, but the fact that when she was there showing her solidarity with Israel, she did not stress that Israel needed to conform with international law. And I think what was striking in his response was how, how direct he was in his criticism of her. He used really trenchant language. He condemned her actions and he very much called into question her mandate. He said that he didn't know where the source of those decisions were that she had made. He didn't know where the legitimation was. He didn't know where the authority was for it. And he said that it may not have been meant to have malevolent consequences, but he said we certainly need a better performance in relation to European Union diplomacy and practice. And he went on to say that um, he knew that she wasn't speaking for Ireland uh, as a member state because he said that what she said did not tally with the statements made by the Tónista and the Taoiseach and what she had, uh, he said, what, what we are seeing is a thoughtless and even reckless set of actions. And what's been remarkable since then, I suppose, is the huge response to what he has said. There's clearly a lot of support for how clear he was in calling out the actions of the EU Commission president. We know that so many of the other member states have been unhappy that she travelled there without uh, getting a mandate from the member states. And I think it just illustrates that point that we've spoken of before, that the president can sometimes almost steal a march on the Irish government as well in terms of his direct approach on issues because I know that the Thonj, the Michal Martin, was speaking to reporters on Monday on the same day in Ireland. He was in Tume and he was repeatedly asked about Ursula von der Leyen and he kind of danced around it and he, he obviously would feel that he could not speak so directly and so critically about the EU Commission president. And I suppose really it's not the first time that we've seen this kind of outflanking uh, and it's, I'm sure, not the last time we're mm -hmm. going to see it either. And while what President Higgins said may have been very popular with many people here, Sandra, it's also a question, isn't it, a bit like the question about Commission President van der Leyen. Uh, was he within his rights to comment on foreign policy? Yeah, there's differing views on this, depending, I think, on who you speak, uh, who you speak to. The convention is that the president does not comment on policy, whether usually we're talking about domestic policy, but in this case, it's foreign policy. But there is no explicit 
prohibition in the constitution, but there there definitely are some, and there are some who are maybe in the legal profession who feels that he does, he is really pushing uh, at the boundaries of what the president can do and that he is going further than his mandate. But I, I think the bottom line perhaps is that he is just, he is a very popular president. He's 12 years into a 14 year tenure. And if anything, he has been more outspoken in recent times. Uh, just a month ago at the Ploughing Championships, he spoke about the United Nations, saying that uh, it was its credibility was becoming damaged by the uh, by the, this sort of lack mm. of contributions of some of its members. He spoke about the Security Forum just before it was convened earlier this year. That was a particular project of the Thorn to the Michal Martin. He spoke about housing, call it, calling it a great disaster. And I think there's a sense from the government side that they, they just can't touch him. They, and we've seen that in the response over the past few days. The Thonish, they're saying he couldn't comment on it. Peter Burke, the junior minister, saying he couldn't say anything either. But certainly the opposition have cheerleaded his comments. Uh, people before profit and social democrats uh, strongly backing him in the doll. And of course, as you say, uh, the president is in Rome uh, for that food forum. But you know, this being talked about internationally, uh, food aid, such a huge part of the Irish aid programme. But this at a time when, you know, the difficulty is getting any food or water into Gaza. Yes, and he has stressed uh, to reporters, we've been speaking to him every day here, the importance of setting up those humanitarian corridors. He said, we just don't have time. And uh, he really stressed that, you know, international countries have to move quickly here because so many people are in such dire circumstances in Gaza. Uh, and he also had some very strong words for the hospital strike, saying that it may ultimately be a war crime. He did stress that the facts have to be established. But he also tied it back again to the actions of mm -hmm. Israel. He said that he couldn't understand, he could not understand how the advocacy of no restraint isn't an encouragement to become involved in what ultimately might be a war crime. So again, while he has very much condemned the attacks by Hamas, he has pulled it back repeatedly to Israel's actions and it's at the, the level of its retaliation yeah. and his view that they are breaking international law with that blockade. Michal, we saw the uh, Europe's Council of Ministers meet this week. On They met on Tuesday to try and uh, re-establish some kind of unanimity uh, on the question uh, of Israel. And there was a very carefully worded statement afterwards. But in terms of uh, Ursula von der Leyen's solo run to Israel, and we are heading into European elections next year, uh, she had been seen maybe as, you know, well-placed to have a second term as Commission President. Do you think she damaged herself and how badly? Yeah, well, I think if you look at the response here, that ultimately in the aftermath of what President Higgins had to say, I suppose the Taoiseach and Thornish became a little freer in what they said and reluctantly were brought to the point of criticism. Leo Varadkar saying that those comments weren't helpful, but the ones that followed uh, were better. Michal Barton saying at the, at the Parliamentary Party meeting last night that the response from yeah. Europe initially wasn't steady, which, which is shorthand for... Uh, uh, for for criticism, I think in kind of colloquial terms. So Pretty for all divided, those reasons, you had Palestinian aid being shut down one day, then you had it being re-established another. You yeah. had Ursula von der Leyen over there being asked questions and pointedly not speaking about the Geneva Convention, pointedly holding hands with President Herzog, who spoke about no innocent civilians yeah. in Gaza. These were big statements. Very big statements. And I suppose then from the, just the legal technical point of view as to who should be saying what in that European structure, well, that really was the job of Charles Michel, wasn't it? The, the president of the council. And ultimately that statement coming on Sunday, days later. Yes. 
Uh, and uh, we've seen plenty of tensions in their relationship before, haven't we, on on various occasions? But all yeah, of this, the Tatanish just stressing that repeatedly, saying it is difficult to get that consensus given the the spectrum yeah. of views, as he called them. Um, and Mary, all of this, and uh, as we've seen um, in the back and forth about what happened at the Al Ahly Hospital uh, in Gaza uh, and how that explosion came about. Um, We've seen it in the back and forth about the reporting all the time. There are our colleague Brian O'Donovan had a brilliant report on Morning Ireland this morning about the kind of disinformation we are all being exposed to uh, in this war. People, you know, seeing images of, you know, that are computer games, images from the Syrian war, images from the Ukrainian war. And it's given the extent of the division, and we've seen that here, We've seen that in Europe. We certainly see it in the Middle East. Um, it makes it very hard to report, doesn't it? And it makes it very hard as well for politicians to try and even talk about this because, since, you know, everyone's emotions are, are running so high and what's happening is so appalling. I mean, the facts, such as we can establish them, are so appalling. Yeah, and you could see that in the Dáil debate last night, you know, the, the sort of what would appear like small variances in what the overall message was going to be. It came down to, you know, a matter of of language and terminology used. And, you know, for example, there was broad support ultimately for the motion in the Dáil last night, but they couldn't reach a Dáil consensus. And, you know, while there was agreement in terms of the condemnation of um, of of Hamas and there was agreement in condemnation of, you know, attacks on Palestinians and the humanitarian situation. What it ultimately came down to was language over defining Israel's role in all of this. And that is something that there was subject to a number of motions in the Dáil and, and amendments in, in, in that debate last night. But there couldn't ultimately be mm-hmm. agreement on the on, on the overall statement. Yes, and we've seen similar divisions about language in the in the European Parliament's debate that have been going on this week. And our colleague, of course, Tommy Meskell, will be reporting uh, on that in his European Parliament report at the weekend. And of course, Paul Cunningham um, has been reporting from Israel. Uh, and the only certainty watching this from from the outside um, and for you know neutral countries like Ireland, and we'll talk a little bit more about neutrality in a minute, uh, Michal, um this looks likely to get worse before it gets better. The best that can be hoped for in the short term is humanitarian corridors. But even there, that's a slim hope and fraught with difficulty. Yeah, I mean, when you hear in the, over the course of the debate last night where people talk about the two-state solution, that seems such a lofty ideal at this point. But even things like a ceasefire, even things like getting those electricity and water supplies switched back on and the release of hostages equally look in the distance at this moment, don't they? Yes, and of course we had, you know, Irish citizens who suffered from the Hamas attack. We have Irish citizens who are stranded in Gaza, nowhere to go. Um, this is something that uh, we're all involved in, uh, in in many ways and we can only watch unfold and, as you were saying, the Dáil, uh, debating that. Uh, how close was, how, how, how big was the attempt to get um, unanimity on the motion or was it clear from the get-go there wouldn't be? No, I think that there was a, there was a serious effort underway like all through Monday, Tuesday, up into Wednesday and even, even another shot at it on Thursday so that there yeah. was an attempt but it always seemed 
unlikely, I think. All right. But I think that Dáil vote was fairly strong in the end, 121 to 14 for the central message. Yeah? As we speak, of course, the Dáil has been taking hearing statements uh, on health budget and we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, before we leave, I suppose, international affairs, of course, we remember earlier in the year and uh, Sandra was reminding us, uh, of course, President Higgins making some pointed remarks about the neutrality forum uh, that Defence Minister Anthonishta, uh, Michal Martin, um, it took place in a number of cities over a number of days. Was The idea was to have an open discussion. was quite a lot of controversy uh, in the run-up to it, certainly, at the time. Uh, the results so far, Michal? Yeah, there's no great conclusions in it, but uh, Louise Richardson, the professor who kind of oversaw this and, of course, did... Uh, get some criticism from Michael D. Higgins along the way. She comes to some conclusions. The thing that everyone could agree on, there seems to be an appetite for spending more on defence. There is no appetite for abandoning neutrality. She does make the point, though, uh, that neutrality in an Irish context is extremely unclear. She believes those that are most... uh, attached to it, are attached to an abstraction, she says, rather than something very real. And she is of the view that Ireland's neutrality is not necessary for its kind of high standing in the world when it comes to international affairs. The best you could say is that it probably helps. helps. Equally, there's a sense that because security is changing and, and Ireland's geographic location doesn't offer the protections that it used to in the past. For all those reasons, she's advocating mm-hmm. that government has maximum flexibility in making security decisions in the future. So it gently moves in one direction. The Thonister, we're told, is going to study it. It probably won't take that long. It's only 29 pages, but as of now, he's still studying it. All right. Uh, and... Uh- as I said, those thawed statements on health um, going on at the moment, Mary. And, you know, in many ways, looking back to Budget Day, it was a big 14 billion package of extra spending and tax cuts. Um, quite a muted reaction initially on the day. But the issue of the health budget allocation, that's become politically more explosive as the days have gone by, hasn't it? Yeah, it was a slow burner initially on Budget Day, but it emerged as a sort of big black mark or big black hole in this particular budget, which had otherwise been relatively, you know, well enough received politically. Um, And there's, you know, now a position whereby the uh, head of the HSE, Bernard Gloucester, is coming out saying that, you know, there will not be enough or the budget that has been allocated won't be adequate for all the costs and the current costs of meeting it the health service. The current level of, it's not enough to match the current level of service next year. Exactly, and that the service plan for the HSE will have an inbuilt deficit into it, which I think is for the first time. So this has all re- led to a political row, essentially, over who's to blame for this, and also some discussion around perhaps the politicisation of Bernard Gloucester, the fact that it's emerged that he was um, having discussions with Sinn Féin, health spokesperson, Person, uh, David Cullinan. And, and David Cullinan was clear actually to clarify that um, <clears throat> in the Doyle that the conversations he has uh, are conversations around matters of fact because uh, and Stephen Donnelly the health minister as well uh, he's been very quick hasn't he in the in the it's not a debate it's statements uh, to put on the record mm-hmm. his um, his support for Bernard Gloucester's right to say what he said as the head of the HSE. So some sensitivities around all of that. The the same earlier on today, yeah. 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 But nonetheless, the fact of the matter is the numbers and the numbers, the opposition, I mean, David Cullinan was certainly, um, he almost sounded ministerial, did he, at times? 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's been very clear on this and what has to happen. And while government initially kind of has been slow to say much at all about what's going to happen, uh, when I asked Pascal Donahue about this yesterday, can you say that it is almost certain there will be a deficit? And he would only go so far as to say, well, that can't be ruled out. Now, that's an admission. Everyone knows there's going to be a deficit here. I suppose the first step is that they will plug the hole for this year with the supplementary budget, which is going to be around 1.5 billion, and then look to next year. There seems to be a signal being sent to the HSE, though. And this was typified by what the Taoiseach had to say, I think, on Tuesday when he spoke about the hiring of non-consultant hospital doctors, that the HSE were given the green light to hire a certain amount, and they went about 200 over. Over that. He said that doesn't happen with guards, that doesn't happen with teachers, that doesn't happen with other government departments. This goes to the centre of all this, I think. There has but there were some in- interesting um, statistics, weren't there, from Minister Donnelly about the huge increase in demand that there yeah. has been since before COVID and this yeah. wasn't predicted. So roughly two thirds of the one and a half billion yes. uh, overs- or overspend, that that's coming from, you know, demand. You can't stop people getting sick yeah. and it's coming from inflation. The 16% inflation and particular demand then in people over 75 yeah. showing up in hospitals. So that that is there too. When Pascal Dunning was speaking about that yesterday, when it comes to the ageing population, he thinks that's more a medium term issue. But for the moment, he believes that the health service can be run broadly in line with what was allocated and that accounting and management can improve. But it can only improve so mm-hmm. far. I mean, not to the not to two billions worth of improvement in one year. I think everyone knows that. And speaking I think of the accounting... greatest worry in, in government that I can detect is not really the politicisation. There is some people angry about that, but I think they're a small number. The worry is that what you're going to see is, and what you see a lot with health anyway, is really, really difficult cases in the health service and people who can't access service. And that is going to become symptomatic of the deficit very quickly. And that will present a big problem for government, hence the attempt to broaden it out, to say it isn't Stephen Donnelly's fault, mm-hmm. it isn't Pascal Donoghue's fault, it's a government decision. And Stephen Donnelly also announcing, um, was it 400 million in one-off uh, spending for for this year? But we've already seen, I mean, speaking of accounting and inflation, look at the Children's Hospital. You know, that was back before the um, Public Accounts Committee, yeah. wasn't it, today? Uh, and again... Uh, the date being pushed out uh, even further for opening? Yeah, well, the date on paper now, on paper, has moved from August 2022 to the 29th of October 2024. That's the construction date. And then you add six months to that to commission. Will it be open the before the general election? No, it won't be open before the general election. There's no way of that happening now. But equally, when asked today at the committee, the hospital board couldn't give that commitment that it would be in the summer of 2025 either. That's kind of now become the best case scenario. And I suppose in the row about the budget numbers, Mary, the row about the children's hospital, the, the big question, as Michal was alluding to there, is will there be a political price to pay for all of this? And as Michal was saying, it can flare up so quickly. You know, we saw with, for instance, the issues that we still don't know, uh, the full ins and outs and there's to be an inquiry. And we still don't know the details of everything that went on with children with scoliosis and spina bifida. Yeah, and I think that's the big unanswered question here is the implications of this reduced health budget. Uh, Roisin Shortall of the Social Democrats was asking that question. She said that the whole debate today was essentially pointless because that is the question that everyone is asking. You know, what will the implications be? And there are so far no real answers to that. So she was citing the example of cancer and stroke programmes. What are the implications for that? What are the implications for waiting lists, for particularly for children, waiting mental health services, waiting particular uh, therapies? That is a big 
political issue playing in the background and it's something that has generated a lot of negativity and negative headlines for this government and the implications for disability services which are also in the in the headlines quite regularly so if they are issues that are already um, you know a negative for this government what are they going to be like next year when when services are lagging behind and that is something that there's still uh, no answer to it's something as Michal said that there will be wearing uh, government TDs at every level going into next year all right. Um, we have another TD announcing his departure and joining the exodus, really, at this stage, Miha. Yeah. And again, someone who in typical doll terms wouldn't have been seen to be that old uh, in the past. Mark Makshari uh, departing, of course, outside of the Fianna Fáil party entirely now since last year, uh, having left the parliamentary party a year earlier when he didn't vote confidence in Simon Coveney. Uh, I suppose this is a career that at one point se- seemed to promise a lot, Mark Makshari always um, had a very strong belief uh, in his own abilities and did was a Fianna Fáil front bench spokesperson on tourism and transport along the way and a prominent member of the Public Accounts Committee. Uh, but in recent times has become a vocal critic of the government and quite vociferous uh, from from the independent benches and, and departs now. Something of a surprise, I think, even yeah. if he was becoming... Uh, very Barry f- Cowan was trying to get him back into Fianna Fáil, wasn't he, a while ago? Yeah, I mean, last year it did look that the Groundwork had been laid for Mac Mashari's return to Fianna Fáil, but then there was a complaint by, by a, a local councillor, wasn't there, about uh, what Mac Mashari had allegedly said to him. Mm-hmm. And as a result of the handling of that complaint, he completely parted ways w- with Fianna Fáil, the party, of course, that his father had been a, a Taunashton finance minister when he was there and European commissioner. So it's a big dynasty that's departing the scene. Yeah, it's going to be a very different look and doll next time around, it is, isn't yeah. it? It, yeah. it really is. Yeah. A lot of familiar faces gone. Yeah, and people relatively young departing as well. Maybe that's just because I'm getting old. I'm saying they're relatively young. <laughs> Whippersnapper <laughs> like you, you're not getting old. You're on your way to Cork, Mary, at the weekend. Yeah, there'll be uh, two of us heading to Cork the weekend, both Michal and I. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a strange time for the Green Party. I mean, in many respects, they're pointing to what they believe was a good budget for them. They got that €3 billion euro fund. Also, the um, extra cut in childcare for Roderick O'Gorman. So they were happy after the budget. Uh, but again, this doesn't seem to be translating really a, you know, to any any boost for them in the polls, still lagging at around 3 or 4%, according to a number of opinion polls. So the question now for the Green Party is how they can sell their message. And I think, you know, looking at the agenda for the weekend ahead, it looks like they're not just focusing on the work that they would say that they're doing in relation to climate, but they're sort of focusing on things that they might believe are a bit more tangible to voters. So this childcare issue, the cut in transport fees, things like that, that they believe the Green Party are making a real difference to, to people's lives as opposed to the So they're looking very much at, if you like, tangibles for younger voters, for, for that niche vote that they think is going to care about climate, no matter what, whether, you know, whether they're up or down on the greens that Because day. I guess they maybe are seeing at this point that, that the climate uh, agenda is maybe more of a one that doesn't bear immediate results. It might be a, a longer term electoral gain for them. But if they're heading into the next election, they need to show things, you know, in the immediate yeah. now. This is how it's affecting you as an individual. And there is uh, one item on the agenda for Sunday called What Have the Green Party Ever Done For Me? And uh, I think the answer to that question could hold a lot uh, for the party and their fate over the next year or two. All right. It is interesting that the Greens did use a Michael Healy Ray clip on some of their social media in recent times where he said in the doll, don't blame the Greens. The Greens have done everything that they said they would do so we don't blame them in that sense so that's that's kind of an interesting approach 
There you go. We leave it there from whippersnapper Michal Lahan and from Mary O'Regan. As uh, Mary was saying, they'll both be reporting from Cork at the weekend. Uh, we'll be with you on The Week in Politics on Sunday and we'll be back with you on Your Politics uh, around the same time this time next week. Follow and subscribe as you will. And until then, from me, Anya Lawler, goodbye. Goodbye.